0: This is TechSnap, episode 364. Hi, everyone, and welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems network and administration podcast. We recorded this episode on April 17th, 2018. It's brought to you by our three great sponsors, DigitalOcean, Ting, and iX Systems. I'll tell you about them later on. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is the admin, the engineer, and the presenter. It's Mr. Payne. Mr. Wes Hello, Wes. Greetings, Chris. Wes, are you ready to talk about server monitoring? Oh, I sure am. You've been in the trenches for many, many hours on this topic, so we're going to glean some of your knowledge, and we're going to talk about server monitoring, from why to monitor to what you can use. We'll specifically talk about Nagios and its alternatives, as well as a few resources, and then wrap it all up with your feedback. It's a real focused episode this week.
1: Yeah, that's right. We thought everyone would benefit from uh, some real adult talk about monitoring. <laughs> Let's get real about monitoring. Nagios is definitely one of those tools I've used in anger, and really, this was all spawned because I've been spending the last uh, last week or so redoing the Nagios implementation at the day job. So there's a we have an older one that's been it's 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 gone on very strong. It monitors lots of things, but it's time to it really needs an update. Uh, it's going to be a lot more integrated with configuration management. So I've been in the trenches
0: doing that. We've been thinking about talking about this topic on the show anyway. It seemed like the perfect time. It really is perfect timing. So it's it's just a great opportunity to sort of leverage what you do day to day. So let's start at the very top, somewhere where the audience has got to start. Why do you want to monitor? Now, I understand you already are, but like if you were hitting the reset button, what are you really trying to accomplish? At the simplest level, I would say monitoring, it breaks the cycle of
1: you you're using something and you find out it's broken when you need to use it. I'm sure you've had that feeling. You're running a small service for yourself, maybe it's a quasel server or a database somewhere. You don't use it all the time, but you you know, when you need it, you need it, and suddenly it's not there. So monitoring lets you break that. Monitoring can proactively alert you when there's problems or even when there's potential problems and so you can then prioritize, delegate whatever you need to have happen. It starts that feedback cycle of what's actually happening on my systems.
0: It can also give you early indications of when maybe maintenance is due or if a system is on the edge of failure and you can take care of it before you look bad. I mean, it's also there is a bit of CYA. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, especially if you are
1: providing a managed service, if you have any sort of SLA, these are factors that are going to be hugely important to
0: the performance of your job. And I'm also going to just say, I also feel like a uh, decent monitoring and metrics can be a Good security tool. Several stories, and in my own personal hands on experience, too. Uh You've seen where an attacker was caught simply because somebody noticed a huge jump in bandwidth coming from the FTP server or something to that effect. In my personal day job years ago, we discovered that somebody had compromised an FTP server that we had available to other school districts. And the way I discovered it was we had bandwidth graphs where this this box that usually only got a little bit of traffic at the beginning and end of the month all of a sudden was busy all day, all night long. And we saw it right there in plain metrics. Exactly.
1: Once you once you can establish a baseline, you can then actually observe you know deviations from that baseline. Yeah. But if you have no data at all, you're just in the dark.
0: Yeah, really. So then it really comes down to what should you be monitoring? And you have the network you need to monitor. There's aspects of that. And then you have your systems and your applications. And there's aspects to those you need to monitor. So what do you need to be monitoring? To answer that question, I think you need to ask
1: yourself... What are you going to want to know when something's broken, when you are, you know, trying to put out fires and investigate what is the information you are going to need to know to validate your assumptions, to troubleshoot, to understand your system? That's where you know what to monitor. And every time you have a question like that that you don't have an answer to, that's a great time to go make a
0: new monitor, right, and add that data so that next time you have it. One of the uh, exercises you could run through potentially in your head is take one of your core applications and try to visualize all of its dependencies. So if it's a web application, it is dependent on a web server. It's dependent on the server being online. It's dependent on that server having a network connection. So it's also dependent on a switch. And it's likely dependent on a database. So you also need to have a database check to make sure the database is online, what the performance of the database is, if that server is online, if it's a separate physical host, if its network connection is active, and if the network it's connected to is live. And you can sort of work down a dependency tree like that, and you can sort of visualize the obvious points that you need to monitor and then expand it from there, but you can really see how like good documentation, a well-documented, maybe even visualized application diagram is really useful at these moments. Which, who really has accurate, up-to-date versions of those, I understand, but it would be so great. And it can be a good exercise in trying to understand that, right? You know, periodically yeah. updating some of your monitoring, walking yeah. through
1: your system, looking at those connections, and then asking... What do I need to know to validate that this connection is working?
0: Yeah, we recently just did sort of a reverse engineer of a project that was created by somebody that was working here previously, the Beard, and he had curated a bot for us. And we didn't have a full picture of how that thing was set up, what dependencies it had, and we had to kind of walk that chain down and figure out, okay, well, this is actually connecting to another system, and that's why it's not working. How do we make sure that we have a monitor on that now? And we thought we had everything covered, but as you learn more, if this things aren't previously or properly documented, you just sort of, oh, here's another little boop spot to monitor, and you sort of grow it, you expand it. Right, and in many ways it forms
1: as a sort of an impromptu documentation. Not yeah. as good as you know real documentation, no. but you get an idea of these are the things that are required for this application to function.
0: So if the core question is what to monitor, would you agree that it's really anything that can have an impact on system performance or network performance? Yes, I would agree. I think you do have to consider
1: scale and scope and and what your needs are any monitoring is going to be a lot better than no monitoring and and it takes time right it takes it's not feature work it's not actually like building new stuff so it it can be difficult to get get around to so i think everyone ends up doing some level of just basic system monitoring and that's just you can argue you know there are there are more ways to get more leverage but they're so easy they're so common and you can easily find preventable
0: problems things like high cpu usage or your disk space is filling up faster than usual okay well let's talk specifics here for a second then Uh, what metrics would you want to collect it sounds like cpu memory and disk metrics so you have over time at least some snapshots of what's that Uh, what event messages or system log messages i would imagine you'd probably want to capture that network interfaces any other kind of performance indicators you can get uh, depending on the depending on the type of system, there's maybe web server specific or database or even print job specific things you could monitor. What are any other things jumping out at you that you might pull off a server using a monitoring system? Yeah, you'll
1: frequently see you know you'll see hard drive space, load average. One thing uh, a lot of people end up looking at is the fork rate, uh, just to see if, if you know oh, there's yeah. some, some process that's spawning a whole bunch of other processes. That's a great idea. Um, if you have a, a swap on your system, that's going to be another one that you'll you'll probably want to look at. And if you're running in a cluster, you probably have an NTP daemon running, and
0: keeping time in sync can be very important, especially for distributed systems. So that's some high-level basics of monitoring itself. We're not even getting specific into what you're monitoring with. But what are some other advanced things you can do to sort of prep yourself for monitoring? Yeah, so like once you've got basic system health down,
1: you know if your machine is upright, you're doing you're doing ping checks, you know that it's healthy, that it has a disk space, that's where you're going to want to start looking at your individual applications. If you're running a database, oftentimes there's ways to pull metrics, look for failures or notifications or alerts in the log, so log scraping uh, is a it's a whole own topic that we can cover more in depth, but it's definitely important as a source of information. You'll also want to start instrumenting your applications as you design them, you know, thinking about observability, thinking about how to monitor all the dependencies, all of its interactions, so that you can really get a, you know, white box monitoring approach, understanding the internal mechanics. Both yeah. both approaches are valid, right? You do need black box end-to-end testing Sort of monitoring approaches. Sure. But it's also very helpful to be able to understand the internal workings.
0: All of those yeah. are more advanced. Those are like upper levels, especially as you're running like a, a larger scale service. But you're talking about literally building your in-house application so it can be monitored. Yeah. You have to, you know, you have to start thinking about it from the very start. Yeah. That's a great point. It makes me think back on Jbot. How could we rebuild Jbot? So that way it is designed to be monitored. Yeah,
1: and there's a lot of frameworks now. If you're using um, Prometheus, for example, they've got a lot of uh, instrumentation libraries available for common programming languages. StatsD is another common format. With all sorts of
0: backend systems, you can run a common format for, for tracking things like like gauges. All right, that's the basics and a little bit of the advanced. I like that. So now let's get specific. <laughs> DO.co slash snap. DigitalOcean is infrastructure on demand as fast as you can imagine around the world, everything SSD powered. That's it in a nutshell. You can deploy in less than 55 seconds. They have 12 data centers around the world, and their pricing will blow your mind. My favorite system, which isn't even the lowest cost system, is three cents an hour. Three cents an hour at digital ocean. And when you go to do.co snap, You'll get a $100 credit. We were just talking about the importance of basic system monitoring. And DigitalOcean has that built in. You can learn more on DigitalOcean's website. Go to do.co/snap. It's pretty nice. It has alerts for all kinds of metrics like CPU, your incoming, outgoing bandwidth, your disk, read and write, memory usage, disk usage. It supports notifying you via Slack, and they will graph your metrics, which is a feature that we both Hey-o. love. I use that specifically for our DigitalOcean droplets that are doing CPU encoding and restreaming while we're live. So I can get an idea when our stream usages go up as we go to more and more endpoints when it's time to upgrade the droplet. And right now, my three cents an hour machine is more than half. Handling it. DO.CO SNAP. Go there, learn more, and get a $100 credit. Try out their new flexible droplets for $15 a month. You can mix and match resources depending on what you need. Enjoy Spaces, their S3 compliant storage solution. Or if you want traditional block storage, you can do that too. DO.CO SNAP. Today, let's focus on Nagios. In
1: particular, we're going to focus on Nagios Core, which is the main open source component of Nagios, as well as the Nagios plugins project um, and a few other related add-ons to Nagios. There's a large community of Nagios users, and that's one of its main strengths. There's tons of plugins, tons of guides, tutorials, configuration examples to reach out to. You'll probably need them because it can be a bit arcane at times, and there are a lot of config files, but at its core, Nagios is pretty simple. You can think of Nagios as two pieces: uh, a web front-end dashboard that kind of gives you an all-up display of everything that's being monitored by that Nagios server, and then a background, basically task-running process, or sort of like a, you know, a more structured cron, super cron. Yeah, right. A super cron. Yeah, you have a you have a whole fleet of different plugins and commands you can use, and then you configure a bunch of hosts and services. Services are attached to hosts and then the services run on some sort of schedule. And every every time they come up, they'll run your check, they'll report back. If the state changed, you can configure Nagios to send you notifications, or you can you'll see it if you go and visually inspect your Nagios. That's the that's 90% of what a Nagios is used for. You've configured some checks, they run at intervals, they report back, and if their
0: status changes,
1: you get notified.
0: And those checks are a lot of those metrics we mentioned earlier in the show, like CPU load, disk usage, things like that. Yeah, also super common is checking on the remote
1: endpoints. You know, you're checking that a, a HTTP request goes through, you're checking if an FTP server is available, maybe you're just doing you know, just ping checks a lot of times, making sure all your hosts are up. And a huge component that Nagios is you'll see a lot is in physical data centers, anywhere running devices using SNMP. Simple network management protocol, uh, which is a interface on a whole bunch of actual hardware and sometimes the only way to get any real information or metrics or moderate on those devices. Nagios yeah. has a lot of plugins to to do that. You can, you know, walk walk trees, you can check on specific OIDs, you can even receive traps if you configure
0: it correctly. So it has great support there. You mentioned that web interface. You can also use that web interface for checking previous notifications, problem history, uh, and if you set it up correctly, Nagios can even understand dependencies. So if a switch goes out, it'll understand that perhaps this entire rack of servers could potentially be offline and accommodate for that. But you have to be able to do that, set it up. Yep. Yeah, right. That requires a lot of configuration. It has a couple other features kind of
1: like that. It has flap detection, um, <laughs> a lot of different options for scheduling downtimes or configuring when or how notifications get sent. Hmm. Um I will caution people: the configuration can be. You, it's easy to get into a situation where you have created too much configuration or yeah. overly complex setup, especially if you're starting and you try to be too general at first, and you end up with complex hierarchies of different host templates and services. And making a change requires tracking back through like five different Nagios configuration files. Yeah. Um. So start simple. Yes. And you can
0: you can generalize it as needed. I want to underscore that because I think that was the number one mistake I made the first time I tried to deploy Nagios is I I made it way too complicated. I had 47 different branch locations and I had servers and client machines and printers all within these different locations I was trying to track, plus uh, two data centers and a DR site. And I just went nuts because I, I thought it needed a really complex configuration and I just created myself a kingdom which collapsed around me and really turned me off of nodules for a long time but it was on me that was my fault and so I really I really rec- double want to double recommend your advice to go slow go simple yeah right exactly
1: and and it, it gives you a lot of uh, nice tools for those kinds of scenarios where you can sort of branch off as needed but if you do it too early if you do it too often when, when essentially systems aren't actually that different you're
0: just going to give yourself the cost of complexity so complete the picture for me. We've talked about checking different aspects of a server, but how do we go deeper? How do we get like actual disk usage information and things like that off of a server? Sure. So, yeah, so far we've kind of mentioned, you know, you can check you can check an HTTP endpoint. Yeah. And this all
1: happens, you know, there's a commands configuration file there. You can define scripts that you've placed at certain directories, giving them name. And then, you know, when you define a service, you can say, check my main homepage here's the endpoint, use the check HTTP, make sure that it returns
0: 200, and looks like this. Right, Nagios can do all that server-side, doesn't ever really need to talk to the host other than connect to a web server, make sure a page loads. But how does it get detailed metrics off of a host? That's a great question, right? So it, it makes sense. So far, mostly here, you would have defined some commands,
1: local to Nagios, that would run a script on the Nagios server, execute some function, return data, return a check result. To take it to the next level, you need... NRPE or the Nagios Remote Plugin Executor. This is a service that you run local to your remote hosts. Uh, so it's running there. It exposes a port, and you've configured it with a set of known commands. The Nagios server can then make a request request that they run this you know this command from a prescribed whitelist of commands hmm. that will get executed. The data is returned, shoved back to Nagios, and then that is used as the check data. I see. I would like to mention there is a commonly used insecure option. It's now no longer enabled by default, at least in Debian and downstream uh, and downstream projects. Basically, it allows you to pass arbitrary arguments to those 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 functions on the remote host, and obviously that has that has some serious security ramifications. In some environments, it might be fine, but I would really recommend if you have the ability to just configure all those arguments on the remote side, don't leave that Mm. open to Nagios. And that way, all Nagios is doing is just saying, like, hey, run this totally predetermined script that you can audit, Yeah, return me the results. It's a lot easier to audit that way. Yeah, and safer. The real power here is, is that Nagios plugins are pretty stupid simple to write. It's basically all done with return code and then some stuff printed to standard out. So if you can write a simple bash script you can write a Nagios plugin, right? So mm. you can run, you can shell out to anything else, you can you can compile a program to do it, whatever tools you want, mm. as long as you can participate in that basic interface, so it its, can be
0: a plugin. At its core, Nagios is just looking for a yes, no, one, zero, uh, usually it's warning, critical, or ah. clear. I mean, so they, have a, they have a scale. They have a really, actually, pretty decent documentation about how to write one of these plugins. But yeah, it's just a return code. So, okay. And so if you can create anything server-side, Nagios just needs that return code. Yeah, exactly. No no wonder the plugins are so popular. Yeah, so it's super simple. You can convert just about anything to a Nagios plugin or wrap something else. So
1: with that power, then, you know, you can have you can have arbitrary scripts on the Nagios server-side or with, with NERPY, you can have them on the remote host side. Anything you want to do, complicated checks, Run, run integration tests if you want. Scrape slash proc if, if you have specific needs. Maybe
0: you have your own kernel module and you're trying to get statistics from that. Really, the sky's the limit. We wanted to start the topic of server monitoring with Nagios because it's the clear leader. It's got a huge community, tons of documentation, lots of examples, books written about it. It's been around since
1: 2002, so it's you know it's it's a heavy hitter. Basically, anyone who's been in that space has used it at least somewhat. But it has some downsides. Thank you.
0: ixsystems.com slash techsnap. Go there to learn more about ix and support the show. ixsystems.com slash techsnap also has a white paper you can download, read through that, and maybe help convince management up the chain to switch to a better hardware solutions provider. If you need storage, large compute, whatever it might be, IX Systems can custom build a solution for you. They really are leaders in open source storage solutions, and they're really proud about the new TrueNAS M-Series, and I can see why. It represents the next generation of TrueNAS and meets the performance and data growth needs of file serving, backup, virtualization, media production, and of course, building your own private cloud. The M-Series is a 4U form factor with 24 drive bays. And uh, I, you know what, I'll leave it as an exercise to you to go look at the specs, but... Uh, Three terabytes of RAM is your teaser. Ooh! Three terabytes of RAM in the new TrueNAS M series. Of I course, want it. you can spec that thing up with crazy amounts of MV&E. It has all kinds of I.O. Okay, here's another teaser. I can't help myself. Four active 100 gigabit Ethernet ports on this sucker. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm just drooling. Now. That's the tease. You got to go to ixsystems.com slash techsnap to learn more. And while you're there, check out the blog. They got some write-ups about the TrueNAS M as well as the new version of TrueNAS OS itself, TrueNAS 11.1. Ix systems is leaders in open source development, integration with hardware, and then wrapping it all up with a white glove experience. It's who you want your systems built on. ixsystems.com slash techsnap.
1: Nagios has been around for a really long time, and I think that is a ultimately a testament to it's practical, it's usable, and it, you know it it is used in a number of places, and it does a great job. But it's also seen a lot of change, particularly in in the last ten years or so, as we've moved into cloud, as we move to more dynamic infrastructure configurations. It's really starting to show some weaknesses. Not that it's bad, it can still be put to great use in data centers, in more static environments for just basic monitoring of hosts that don't change very often. It works splendidly. But this this notion of hosts and services attached to hosts and groups of hosts, it's it's built into the model of how Nagios works. Absolutely. And so with modern services, you know, if you're if you're monitoring an auto-scaling group of EC2 instances that that you know are ephemeral, change, come and go. Maybe they have a there's a Lambda in the background doing batch processing work from an SQS queue. You can monitor all of those with Nagios, um, but there are probably better tools that you should invest in that you don't have to fight against the abstractions that are built in. It's also somewhat software from another era in its its build and configuration. Um, most of the time, if you're going to want an, an up to date modern version you're going to end up building it from source yourself. Uh, it's mostly written in C, so you're going to be, you know, make and make installing on your system. If you go through some work you you can get it packaged up or or build or find a PPA and and, and that's a little bit easier. It's also um, an older style CGI application, so you're going to be running and configuring Apache, configuring CGI, running Nagios that way. None of that's bad and it all, definitely still works, but it's not a, you know, it's not a simple server that you start and then proxy X to. It's it's from a different era and it has a lot of config files as we mentioned earlier it's easy to go overboard there it's also just a lot to take in from the command line and it doesn't necessarily have that great of defaults it can be a little bit challenging to get even to just like a base layer of like here's my three example hosts with a couple services so it feels it feels like it, instead of hitting the ground running and then moderate modifying from there there's often a lot of sort of mucking around trying to get it to work one tip it does, and it will tell you this too, but nagios-v and then the config file, uh, you can run that, run that all the time. That'll try to do a check on its config, verify that it's in a consistent state, point you to any errors in your configuration. So that's super helpful. That can help speed up the process. But it's just not, you know, it, it feels out of date in those ways. And and that's okay. You know, you, you have to deal with it. It's still super useful. Just Just be aware of that. Also, in its default configuration, there there are plugins to to help remedy some of this, but in its default configuration, it often just ends up providing you more snapshot like data. You know, every every so often, it goes around. Runs a check on a on a mm. server, reports back. So it's very specific point in time though. Exactly. Right. So you get an idea of like is my host healthy right now? And yes, there is, you know, you can keep historical data and you can you can look through that and pass sure, alerts. Sure. But it's not a rich history of what happened. It's more like, yeah, you get point in time snapshots of what's the state of my host? Is it healthy or is there having a problem? And that works really well for, for break fix style stuff where oh yep, the disk space is you know over over
0: our warning threshold. Yeah, or the server is up. And it's is it up or is it down? Or how long was it down? It's good for that. Right, and there are some things like that, right? Yeah, like, is it up or is it down? You don't really, you know, you might care about
1: uptime charts at some point, but not, but not really, that that hits the basics. But for other things, you know, for like load histories, latency spikes, bandwidth used, it can be often helpful, especially if you're running complex systems that you, you want to understand. You want graphs of the past. You want data that you can actually use to review, build trends, maybe do some sort of predictive monitoring. That is sort of outside of what Nagios is good at. You need to, you're need you going to end up having to build a bigger system. And Nagios can be a piece of that, um, but it, it won't be able to do all of that. And, and I think that's another thing about it is it's not always the most composable system. Uh, it really feels somewhat like an object-oriented system with, with a lot of hierarchies. That can work really well. Like you're talking about, okay, I have six different data centers and... Each data center has two different types of hosted. Like, for something like that, it can work really well, and it can do some limited amount of, yes, the switch is down, so these services are down. It's not great at that, though, and it's very statically defined, so it won't react to, you know, it's very hard to do something like, okay, well, if it deviates 10% above the average from the last half-hour time period, send me an alert. That stuff, really difficult. Or if you want to check, like, okay, send an alert, but only if these six other services are also an alert and some other arbitrary predicate over there, you can't do that either. So it works super well if you can say, I have a script, I want this to tell me yes, no, is it broken? For anything else, you're probably going to want to at least start collecting metrics that you're sending to some back-end graphing or analysis system. It gets more complicated because you end up having to, very much in the Unix philosophy, you you end up having to build pieces together, sort of figure out your own system for it. That's where Nagios is also so helpful at the beginning because you get this dashboard, you get all that stuff. So it works great for that base level. You can build from there as you have time. They have a couple of things. Um, one is Nagios Graph, which provides just like some... It takes performance data and past data, builds RRD graphs from it and lets you display it there in the UI. So that's pretty helpful. If you're using something like InfluxDB or Graphite for metric collections and and storage... Graphios is a plugin that will basically take that same performance data, convert it to graphite format, and send it off. So that is one way you can get a pretty easy, you know, bridge that gap where you have, you're already checking, like, how full is the disk? With a plugin like that, you can send that information off to a server, store it, and then you can start building those, you know, that history and looking at those
0: charts. We'll put some links in the show notes at techsnap.systems slash 364 if you want to get uh, links to some of the stuff Wes mentioned. So that's uh, some downsides. What about uh, some of the criticisms that I've seen online that it's just not a good fit in more automated environments where perhaps you're using Ansible or Chef? Do you agree with that criticism? Yes and no. Uh, In automated environments or environments that change a lot,
1: it can be tricky, I think you can get it to play all right. Um, I'm integrating it with Chef more right now, so Mm. it depends on how much work you want to do. You can leverage, specifically Chef, um, you can leverage the inventory that Chef has, right? You have a bunch of nodes defined there, so you can use that to render out Nagio's configuration, but on any time that changes... Basically, you're going to be having Nagios reload its configuration. It doesn't have an idea of any sort of like runtime updates. I mean, it does a little bit, right? You send it, you can send it it SIGHUB. It'll reread its configuration and that sort of thing. But it's not like you can dynamically call its API to do stuff. Okay, it does have an API. You can do that, but it's, it's all sort of tacked on and not really part of its core. So if you're going to be using configuration management to define it, you definitely can. You're basically just going to be templating out the
0: Nagios configuration files. Okay, we've been promising, so let's discuss some of those Nagios alternatives.
1: Yeah, I think the first one, uh, naturally, to start with, is Insignia Two, which is a is a fork of Nagios. They split quite some time ago, and have both been very actively developed. A lot of the plugins are kind of developed by both, and there's a lot of cross functionality because of the simple the simple plugin interface. It means you can port them a lot. So. They're they're really complementary communities. It has some some different features. It has, I think its API is a little more well developed. You can go check it out, read the docs. There's lots of tutorials and you know examples online comparing them too. So it's definitely right in the style of Nagios. It, Nagios is, you know, it's been around so long, it's spawned a lot of these systems, either inspired or are actual forks of it. Another one that comes to mind is check underscore mk, which is an extension to Nagios that adds some more configurability and some additional features. So you can find plenty of sort of Nagios clones. Uh, Another popular system that's been coming up is Sensu. And Sensu, I think, keeps a lot of the same basic ideas of Nagios. It's also, you know, you get nice dashboards. It has a lot of the features. It's basically a complete system that you can deploy but it's a lot more modern, right? Mm. It uses it uses like, it has, it has uh, RabbitMQ between agents. It has a lot more dynamic features. It has first-class support for configuration management. So you can tell it to go ask Chef for all the nodes that you want. And then it has like, you know, you're not hacking it around by updating text config files. It's built into the system. So I haven't deployed Sensu personally. It's one I'm keeping my eye on. If you want to stay sort of in that realm of, Nagio's style, but you want
0: something more modern, something that wasn't designed almost 20 years ago, check out Sensu. Okay, so what if I'm looking for a solution that isn't as broad as Nagio's, something more focused on metrics? Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, metrics, time series, data, that's
1: really at the core of a lot of monitoring stacks these days, especially in bigger companies or more complex distributed applications. Now, for this, and we're going to leave it not really as part of this discussion right now, you will probably need some sort of metric storage backend, something like InfluxDB, Graphite, Prometheus. There's lots of options there, um, and there's also a number of paid services that you can use. If you have one of those, you'll need an agent. Um, and the two I've really been fond of in the past and and, and recently, the, f- the first is CollectD, and CollectD's been around for a long time. It's kind of a Swiss army knife tool. It's small, pretty lean, written in C, available on most platforms. And it also, like Nagios, has a ton of plugins. So it can monitor all the basic things you want, you know, memory, CPU, disk, has a bunch of plugins for lots of applications to monitor them as well. It can act as a StatsD server if you've implemented your application with StatsD, CollectD can do that. It can send all this stuff to Graphite or Influx or all, all kinds of tools. Um, it can even execute Nagios plugins. So if okay. you if you have Nagios, or maybe you're trying to move away from Nagios, and you're trying to, to build a little bigger system based around metrics. Or you want to take advantage of all their plugins. Collectee is great. And this is something you just run on each individual host. Yes, exactly. So each an agent runs on each host, collects metrics, and then you've configured it to send to your backend system. Those systems usually do aggregations. They might compute functions or views on that data. Um, and then you tie it in with something like Grafana, or maybe something that's built in to actually go look and make dashboards of all that data that you've collected. The other tool I'd like to to recommend in that space is NetData. Uh, It's relatively new. It's um, produced by the same people who make the Firehole firewall configuration for Linux. Both tools I enjoy a lot. NetData is a little, they have a Rather than like a package, they have an installer script, Um, but it works pretty well. I think they actually have some static binaries they're using now, too, so that makes it a lot simpler. A great thing about NetData is it comes with a pretty full-featured dashboard. So right out of the box, it runs a local listening port, pops up, you go there, it has a Very nice interface with a bunch of dashboards, a bunch of configured metrics already, like tons. Some stuff, it's maybe even a little noisy by default, but you'll probably learn really quick if you have some misconfigured settings or if your system's really using a lot. And they've done a lot of stuff. They have some pretty tight, Care about you know how much of the host resources is this going to use, right? They're they're really they're really cognizant of that. So if you're not looking at the window, none of the graphs go. All the graphs are computed in the browser, basically just from data not computed on the the host you're monitoring. Hmm. They've also added some features where you know you can have one host that then pulls data from other net data servers. So they're even getting a little more into that distributed setup. Not really its primary focus. But but it has that capability. It also has a capability of acting much like Nagios, where you can configure alerts based on the metrics it's collecting, and then it has endpoints, so it can inter- integrate with email or PagerDuty or you know even send to a Nagios instance if you wanted to. And of course, a, a very popular solution in the in the time series space is Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus is inspired inspired a lot by. Borgmon, uh, which is Google's internal monitoring system, or at least it has been. Uh, And it's really been developed sort of not not impairing, but, but sort of next to Kubernetes. And it's designed, but, you know, Kubernetes also inspired from, from Google's Borg. So there's the symbiosis. It really is cloud-first. It's under the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and it's really time-series focused. So they provide a bunch of uh, libraries you can use in your applications to Im- instrument them, have white box monitoring, and they provide a bunch of their own agents as well. So their node exporter, for instance, runs on a node, scrapes slash proc, comes up with all kinds of statistics, sends it to Prometheus. Um, where Prometheus is interesting is it, much like Nagus, provides you this, you know, it has a, it has a dashboard, it shows you graphs, it has an alert manager, so you can configure alerts based on those time series. So you can really write much more complicated, more composable alerts because you have access to all the data. You send all this data to Prometheus, and so you can make complicated queries across it so that, you know, when the CPU is between these ranges, but the disk is this and the application state is this, it, it can get very complex, but that's its power and it's right there in one system. They have a bunch of defaults. If you have a Kubernetes cluster, you can run Prometheus inside of it and monitor the cluster. Tons of integration. So if you want to go full time series, and it really is, at least so far, been a huge trend in this space, check out Prometheus. Prometheus! Now, there are a ton of tools in this space. We couldn't touch on all of them. So if we've missed your favorite or you have any experience with one of the things we did talk about today, write in, let us know, Contact.
0: TechSnap.Ting.com. It's a better way to do mobile. It's awesome because it's only pay for what you use. It's $6 for your line, then your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. Whatever you use, that's what you pay. I get very, very, very little text messages other than a few automated systems. So one or two texts, three texts a month, no big deal. Why would you need to pay for a 1000 or unlimited? You'll never use it. That's crazy, Wes. That's crazy. Crazy. TechSnap.Ting.com will take $25 off a device if you want to buy from Ting directly. Or if you have a Ting-compatible device, and they have CDMA and GSM, so you might have one that's already compatible, they'll give you $25.00. In service credit, they have a great control panel that you manage every aspect, including turning off individual aspects of your service and let you nickname devices. If you have a whole fleet of devices, you can keep track of Wes's device and, you know, Chris's device and Angela's device. It makes that really nice. And if you're a small business, $6 a month for a line means and with no with no contract, no agreements means that I can just buy a couple for Linux Fest Northwest, use them for the month of April and then just decide which ones we want to keep with no ramifications. Oh, that's perfect. I love that flexibility. And also, speaking of flexibility, Ting's all about it. Go to their blog. They have a new post on how to listen to audiobooks that are free, legally, on your mobile device. Pretty handy. Start by going to techsnap.ting.com. That's techsnap.ting.com. Thanks for going to techsnap.systems slash contact. Like Dax did. Dax writes in this week, he said, after hearing about the embedding of zero-width Unicode characters into plain text and then embedding that code into different applications, I got some ideas, I was inspired... And I had to try it out myself. So I wrote this simple encoder and decoder function in Python. And I thought maybe I'd submit it to the TechSnap audience and let them iterate on it. He welcomed some pull requests. It's at github.com slash DaxM. And uh, when you go in there, you'll see there is a simple script. But in his email, he actually included the URL to the encoder decoder script. But he used zero-width Unicode characters. Oh, that's so evil. So you got to use the project itself to decode it in the first place. I love it. Dax was having uh, some fun. techsnapsystem contact for your thoughts or anything that uh, you want to ask us or anything that we have inspired you to do, like Dax here. <laughs> oh, that's just great. <laughs> yeah, this is a simple script. It's like 60 or so lines of Python. Go check it out. It's neat. And that brings us to the end of this week's TechSnap program, but Wes, there are ways to get more of us.
1: Oh, there sure are. If you want more, Chris, go check out season two
0: of Tech Talk Today that just kicked off. It's over at techtalk.today. Oh, thank you, sir. You can go get more Wes at Wes Payne or go get the both of us at Linux Fest Northwest this year, April 28th and the 29th in Bellingham, Washington. There's only like one or two more weeks to plug this, and then we're there live I'm at so Linux I'm so excited. Fest. It's going to be pretty cool. So yeah, check that out, LinuxFestNorthwest.org. Uh, also, the network at Jupyter Signal. our subscribe page is techsnap.systems slash subscribe. And one more plug skis, because why not just overload you on URLs on our way out of here? Do right? it. Let's just do it. Techsnap.systems slash 364 for the links to the stuff we talked about today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.